At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sussingham. Orange juice with natural vitamin C from the Florida sunshine tree. Orange juice seemed like an easy sell in the days of Anita Bryant. Citrus has shaped the state's identity for 100 years. But it's been a tough 10 years with freezes, hurricanes, development pressure, and worst of all, the disease Hong Long Bing, otherwise known as citrus greening. And when the industry needs help the most, Tallahassee doesn't seem to be that interested. There's nobody with a powerful political position right now that has a citrus background, and legislators just cut the budget to the Florida Citrus Commission by about 80 percent. Citrus is at a crossroads. We have in the studio with us Kevin Buffard, senior reporter at The Ledger, Mike Sparks, the CEO of Florida Citrus Mutual, and Shannon Shep, executive director of the Florida Department of Citrus. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Kevin, you recently wrote kind of an alarming article at the Ledger. The orange growers have not been able to sell any of their Valencia orange crop to processors this season. Yeah, it was an unprecedented situation. Basically, the orange juice inventories had gotten so high that the processors were no longer interested in, or there was insufficient demand for the new crop of Valencias. And uh, from what I understand subsequent to that article, it all goes back to Hurricane Irma when there was a lot of concern among the processors of how quickly the crop would recover, so they made these long-term deals with uh, importers, mainly from Brazil, to bring in imports, and it lasted into this season. So that's what led to the buildup of inventories and for the market just basically freezing for an entire month in May. So, Mike Sparks, you represent growers. How does that strike you? that uh, they haven't been able to sell the Valencia oranges and that there are contracts in place with foreign growers. Well, you know, what we've had is, uh, as Kevin described, somewhat of the perfect storm. But first, let's make sure we understand just how material this issue is. If you're a grower that did not have the opportunity to sell this fruit, this is a huge issue. But the vast majority of the growers have long-term contracts. They are involved in other citrus co-ops. But there are a few growers that were unable to harvest and sell their fruit this year. It is frustrating, especially after we're just rebuilding our crops from Hurricane Irma. But you can somewhat understand it. Uh, The processors, our partner in this industry, could not be caught short they had to negotiate long-term contracts with Mexico and Brazil, so their inventories are high. That limited the cash market, which is, again, a small amount of this year's crop, but very important to those growers that participate. Uh, President Trump is 
you know, he's concerned about foreign imports. He's put tariffs in place and other obstacles. Are there anything, Shannon Shep, anything like that happening to help Florida orange juice, Florida orange growers with, say, Brazilian imports? We have longstanding trade agreements that have impacted Florida orange juice and, and imported orange juice. Most of those were negotiated back in the late 80s, early 90s, and, and many of those tariffs that were placed on imported juice are now waning or gone. There haven't been any dumping cases or any type of world trade violations that would lead us to do anything else different, but that would be something Mike's organization would handle um, on behalf of the growers if there were. Right now, you know, we're kind of in the right, we're not in the right zone for growers, but we are where we negotiated to be back in those uh, NAFTA negotiations. Mm, I've heard some complaints from uh, Florida orange juice companies, Mike, I mean, about foreign imports. But Shannon says things are about where they should be. Well, if you think about it, the uh, the fact of the matter is, in Florida, we cannot grow enough oranges to keep uh, our processing fully on board. Mm-hmm. We've lost 60% uh, over the last decade of our processing capabilities, and so there are the needs for imports. So along with production, we've also lost the capability to uh, process the oranges because those places have gone out of business, I guess. The processors have gone out of business as the orange crop has been decimated. And those processors, these are big national brands like Tropicana, Minute Maid, Florida's Natural. And so those big processing plants are made to do one thing, crush oranges and make the high quality orange juice that we enjoy. So there is going to be more imports from Mexico uh, and Brazil, and the tariffs that are there are still good. Now, the other thing to address the high inventory, and this is for Florida orange juice only, USDA has been very receptive and made another commitment of a United States Department of Agriculture purchase, a bonus purchase of orange juice of not seven, but now 10 million gallons. This can help get the inventories down and put upward pressure on grower returns. I spent a day at the Citrus Research Foundation talking to the CEO there, Rick Dantzler. Rick Dantzler was a former state legislator, kind of a well-known name around here, and been CEO there, what, about eight eight or nine months, I guess. Um, he said things are starting to stabilize for growers, but that there are other concerns. At the end of this picking season, which is going to be the end of May, roughly, there will be a 50-week supply of concentrate in the juice plants. So it's just supply and demand. Consumers are consuming less orange juice. You know, the research we've been doing, we are giving growers recipes that help them grow, not the amount of citrus that we did in the heyday, but enough citrus to where these groves are looking pretty good now. And I just really worry about our ability to sell it as much as I, I do our ability to, to grow it. So, Shannon Shep, how do you address that? It's up to the Department of Citrus to come up with marketing programs and convince people that they shouldn't worry about the sugar content or, or calorie content, other things that, uh, other bad news that's been out there. It is. It is. One of the biggest challenges that we have right now, obviously, is, is, is cost. You know, with a lower crop production, 
we have a lower revenue base at the Department of Citrus. We're funded, used to be funded solely by uh, 100% of a grower box tax. Every box that went into commercial production had a certain fee on it for marketing and advertising. And and we were an organization that the growers asked for back in the 1930s, and the legislature uh, gave them that taxing authority. So they taxed themselves to pay for marketing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and when greening came about and, and became a real issue for us, Growers decided to spend more money on the research side or on the mitigation side in their fields. So our budget and a marketing section, which isn't uncommon in the private sector for marketing, has gone down. Um, We're probably at the lowest point now that we've been probably since our inception. And so we have fewer options when you have a smaller revenue base, a, a smaller budget. We've been very fortunate that the Florida legislature for the last few years has given us some general revenue to bolster some of our budget. This year, I still feel like we were lucky to get any general revenue at all. We have just under a mil- million dollars now. Why do you feel lucky? It was the this is I think was Kevin. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this about the biggest budget that Florida's ever had? Ninety-one billion dollar budget or something? I mean, it's not like they were cutting back this year. Yes, but uh, you did have a new governor. You had new leadership in both houses, and as you pointed out. You know, there's just not a highly placed person who uh, is a citrus person or at least an advocate for the citrus industry that would push that uh, the department wanted another $5 million, which is what they got last year. And one house, the House of Representatives had zero. Slashed it to zero, right. <laughs> and, and the Senate... Uh, and the Senate uh, gave them more than that. The governor actually did give them the $5 million. But, you know, uh, not having that advocate in the room and in the negotiations really hurt the department. Mike Sparks, you were, um, when we were listening to Rick Dantzler, you were kind of shaking your head <laughs> in dismay. And I'm wondering what was going through your head there. Rick does a terrific job, and I'm so glad he's heading up our research activities for the Florida citrus industry. And the growers, yes, are limited to their ability to tax themselves right now. So it is very frustrating. But the fact of the matter is, for the consumer, at one time, every man, woman, and child almost drank six gallons of orange juice a year. We're at historic lows. We can move market the product. It's a great tasting product. It's the most nutrient dense. It's a high value if you look at the nutritional content. So well, I, don't, I think I'm, you're I don't agreeing. Have, I, you're agreeing with Rick because he, of course, believes all those things as well. Yeah. He grew up drinking orange juice right. just like we all did, but yeah. but he's saying the same thing that consumers are not buying it. It's it's at historic lows, and the cost is higher now. Kevin, the cost of growing citrus right has tripled in the last ten years because now, oh. as Rick Dansler put it, he said they have to feed every tree just the right you know, nutrients and baby every tree to get through this greening. Yeah, that's the new caretaking uh, regime now. You give the tree a daily infusion of water and nutrients, whereas before you would irrigate whenever you needed to if it rained a lot. 
you know, and fertilize a couple times a month and things like that, and that would uh, sustain the tree. And uh, because of the tree's limited capacity, virtually every tree, uh, upwards of 90% of the citrus trees in Florida are infected by greening. So that does affect their ability to take up nutrients, process nutrients, grow the fruit, that mm-hmm. stuff. So like it's costing that. a lot more to grow food, and then that's passed right. on to consumers, which, right. so we're seeing higher prices. When I started uh, back in 1999 covering citrus, uh, a grower would spend about $700 an acre on all, all caretaking activities, fertilizer, irrigation, all that. It's well over 2000 now. Okay, so orange juice is more expensive, but everything, you go in that juice section, and a bottle, little bottle of kombucha is three dollars. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so so the orange juice, a half gallon of orange juice, at what what three fifty, three dollars, three fifty doesn't seem that bad compared to all the other high price specialty drinks, right? So you kind of are Shannon looking out that way that they're buying higher priced drinks. They are. We, that's one of the challenges that we have is a very crowded beverage aisle, not just, you know, where you find your soft drinks and those types of things, but that refrigerating section where orange juice has lived and dominated for many, many, many years is now shrinking because you are having those chilled kombuchas and some other juice blends or some other straight up juices. So there's the consumer has obviously some more options. You know, part of the other piece of that is, as you mentioned earlier, Robin, yes, we all grew up drinking orange juice in the morning. And I, you know, I'm still an eight ounce a day girl. Um, but many other folks, like the, the generations behind us, haven't. Marketing has always been targeted to folks that were our generation or above in terms of the, the women shoppers in the, in the family. So there are generations that we will miss with this funding issue that we have, with this marketing issue. We're, we're trying to communicate as effectively as we can right now with the group that we can communicate with financially. Um, and that happens to be millennial moms. They're very receptive to the message. Everybody needs to hear the positive. Um, otherwise, that vacuum of negative kind of sucks it all out. Well, I think I read that you got a bump. It was a bad flu season. It was. And you got a bump in sales there. It, yeah, it's, and it's terrible for us to celebrate a bad flu season. But yes, you know, when folks don't feel good, they reach for things that are comforting. And orange juice happens to be one of those things. It tastes good. It does have a nutrient-dense base. It, vitamin C. Vitamin C. Hesperidin is, is our new rock star that folks are, are starting to listen to and, and accept because it's a polyphenol that folks are used to hearing about, you know, resveratrol and red wine and in chocolate and in green tea. Now hesperidin has come out in, in citrus as an anti-inflammatory. And that's, you know, one of those other messages that we try to get out there. And, and right now, we're absolutely doing the best that we can. But our goal shifted at the Department of Citrus about three years ago from really, really struggling to move the needle to stemming the tide, you know, keeping folks from just falling off the market altogether. Um, and that becomes more challenging as we lose marketing dollar share and also as we lose shelf space in the grocery store. And I think the staff at the Department of Citrus has been cut 90% of what it what it was at one time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when, when I first started in, in the citrus industry almost 25 years ago now, this is where the cool kids worked, was at the Department of Citrus. It was a really fun job, and, and you got to talk about orange juice, and there was a huge group of really great, talented marketers um, 
today we have 26 employees who are still talented. 26 compared to? To um, over 150. It, it takes a toll. This industry is a bigger deal than, than folks give it credit for in this state. And so it was very wise of previous legislatures to fund it at the level that they did to keep that economic impact strong here. This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham, and we're talking about the prospects for the citrus industry in Florida. We're here in the studio with Kevin Buffard, senior reporter at The Ledger, Mike Sparks, CEO of Florida Citrus Mutual, and Shannon Shep, the executive director of the Florida Department of Citrus. Mike, let's talk about research a little bit. Um, you've talked to me about the fact that research now is going from the laboratory to behind the tractor. What does that mean? Well, we're very hopeful that this season we'll launch a major program around the uh, state of Florida, the CRAFT program, Citrus Research and Field Trials. Uh, There were some dollars uh, available from the state of Florida. The United States Department of Agriculture has already uh, committed dollars as well as the Citrus Research and Development Foundation. And what this program would do is be a huge demonstration maybe over two years, 5,000 acres around the state of Florida, Southwest Florida, Indian River, Central Florida, Polk County, and major blocks of 20, 40, 100-acre blocks where a grower can select from a menu of research activities, use the best management practices we have from research, couple that with the grower ingenuity the plant higher densities, the proper nutritional sprays to keep cost where he can make a profit and then demonstrate how effective those grow plantings are. And at the end of the day, how much fruit can we produce per acre? The program could last as long as six or seven years, but I can tell you the growers that are in the industry, as soon as they see a certain research trials working, they don't need to wait till the ultimate research report. They will follow up yeah. with additional plantings. And that's how we'll get the Florida citrus industry back in a level of production that we were, were a decade ago. So, Kevin, um, I heard about, or when I was out at the Citrus Research Foundation, I saw a trial of grapefruit trees that were being grown under a large screen. That seemed to be showing a lot of promise. It is, and it's an up-and-coming method of growing citrus. Uh, It's called cups, citrus under protective screens. I had arranged to do a story on a big grower in Lake Wales who had established, and that was before Irma, and Irma pretty much wiped him out. Uh, So there's that risk. The other issue with cups is that it's very expensive to establish. Mm -hmm. We're talking like, uh, as I understand it, something like $20,000 an acre. Oh, gosh. Which is, uh, again, maybe about three, four times what it would just to put it in the ground. Uh, But it does work. It keeps the psyllids away. It keeps the trees uninfected. Uh, it produces fruit, but it may not going be back to, well, yeah. going back to our earlier conversation, the growers need that price in order to make it work, and we're not seeing that this year, unfortunately, because of the impact of imports. So some of these 
things that we're talking about, the high price of staying in business has forced out smaller growers. Correct. And I asked Rick Dantzler about that, about the changes in the industry that he's seen as the smaller growers are unable to stay in business. It's certainly become more corporate. You know, when I was growing up, if someone managed to own 40 acres free and clear, they made a pretty good living because you used to be able to make about $1,000 on an acre of citrus. And $40,000 a year in the 60s and 70s, that was pretty good pay, not bad pay now. And now, if you don't have three or 400 acres, that seems to be about the break-even point where the economy of scale begins to work a little bit better. And that's heartbreaking, really. It's not uncommon for these 20% of the growers that own about 80% of the acreage to own tens of thousands of acres. And so we've, you know, you've kind of lost the collegiality that went along with everybody being a relatively small grower. You know, Florida Citrus Mutual would have a quarterly barbecue and there'd be maybe six or 700 people there. It was just, the camaraderie was just uh, a little bit more than it is now, it seems. Rick Dantzler, he is able to sum up the culture, isn't he? I mean, he's been around a while. Mike, you've seen that, the loss of the smaller growers. You know, Robin, in, in Florida Citrus Mutual, uh, the small grower was and is still today the backbone of the largest citrus trade association in the nation. And it is true, the effects of HLB, uh, the effects of industry consolidation, we're down from 8,000 growers to maybe only 2,500. So you can see how significant, how devastating the loss of those growers are. But those growers that are still in it, they are in it. Yeah. And we have still the mom and pop growers. We do. And the middle size. And yes, we do have large uh, corporations as well. But each and every one of them provide inputs and, and trees and assist the economy, not even for small cities, which they do, like Arcadia, Lake Placid. There are counties in rural Florida rely on citrus. So our reporter, uh, Jessica Mazaros, interviewed a family that had, you know, been in it for a couple of generations. She talks about why they're in it and how they've managed to stay in it, and I urge people to listen to that story. Kevin, I mean, you've been reporting on citrus for a long time. I'm sure you've seen this change in culture. Yes, absolutely. Uh, going back to what we said earlier, it's the small grower that is most affected by this freeze up in the cash market this season. Uh, they're the ones who are not going to be able to sell their fruit because the larger growers have all made contracts with uh, the processors for their entire harvest. But uh, when I first started uh, covering citrus in 1999, I heard lots of stories about how if you own 20 acres, you could put your kid through college. It's just not possible anymore. There are a lot of small growers, but I would almost say they're hobby growers. You know, they're not making a lot of money. They're doing it because they like growing citrus. Gentlemen farmers. Exactly. How long they can stay doing that? At some point, it begins to be an expensive hobby. Uh, certainly, when those growers lose their groves to greening, 
we used to have a couple acres of citrus ourselves around our house in Avon Park. It's virtually all gone. And when they lose their five, ten acres, they're not going to replant either. It's I, just too expensive. I, I think it's important to note, too, and, and just what you said, you know, when you've, you've got somebody who talked to some families. This is a generational operation for many folks. Some are not diversified. Citrus is their only deal. And whether they're small or large, considered, you know, in terms of whatever their acreage is, they've been doing it for 100 years. And it is that string of pearls down the backbone of our state that relies, those those communities rely on that agriculture income. Yeah, Shannon, I want you to talk about that a little bit. It's the citrus grower who um, is buying tires for his tractor or is going to the diner at the corner for Friday night dinner with his family and probably several of his employees if he has them. It's the guy who drives the truck to harvest the citrus who has lost his job at this point. It's those small economic drivers that you and I don't really necessarily think about every day. These are areas that struggle to maintain grocery stores. You know, this is where we start talking about food deserts in the middle of of Florida. These are areas we know as Floridians and, and certainly as folks who are up on Florida agriculture, but they're not the highlight of somebody's trip to Disney World. They're a city that they might pass through on the way there and think that it's quaint, when in reality it's been built by agriculture and mostly citrus for these communities where people live and work and seek their own success. What do people in citrus like you guys think about these proposed toll roads that would cut right through these agricultural areas? It's a double-edged sword when you're working in agriculture. You want, you want that land to stay in agriculture the best that you possibly can. But recognizing the growth and development in the state of Florida is not something um, we take lightly. I mean, it is, it's how we move our citrus up and down those highways. I mean, it, it's how we, again, sustain economic viability. I want every piece of ag land today to stay in ag land. That's not necessarily rational, and it's not going to happen, but that's my passion. Those roads are important, you know, and, it, and it, it's a piece of Florida that, as folks who are, are, are genuinely concerned with the economic basis of, of the state of Florida, you have to consider. Kevin, what have you heard? I really haven't talked to anybody about that particular issue, but again, I assume uh, if it would involve a lot of purchasing of land, a lot of that land would be citrus grove. Now, once you get farther and when you get into Hendry County and Collier County, those are the big growers with thousands of acres. But in Polk County and maybe even a little bit in Highlands, you're probably talking about a substantial number of small growers. And if they get an attractive price to purchase the land uh, for whatever, they'll probably take it. You know, Robin, I think it's the tip of the iceberg of the discussion we've had today. Citrus is down, but we're not out. And if there's another toll roll down the middle of the state, there's going to be some winners and losers. We still have currently 500,000 acres. We've been known to be able to plant and harvest 800,000. So there's got to be a nice natural carve-out either around the turnpikes or we can still have substantial acreage. I have more concerns with it. More people moving to Florida and the whole water issue than a few growers might sell their land to another turnpike or not. But at the end of the day, Florida Citrus, been here 100 years, 
$7.2 billion in economic activities. We're not going away, and I look forward to getting back to that $10 billion of economic activity. All right, we'll leave it there. That's Mike Sparks, CEO of Florida Citrus Mutual. We've also been talking to Kevin Buffard, senior reporter at The Ledger, and Shannon Shep, executive director of the Florida Department of Citrus. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Robin. We're highlighting the citrus industry this week with a special two-part series in addition to this Florida Matters. You'll find the stories online at WUSFnews.org. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George. The show is produced by Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.